What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live. I am joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. The Toronto Raptors, even the series against the Boston Celtics, the 193 win. What were, uh, what were some of your takeaways? What, what's kind of the, uh, the big story from this one for you? I mean, I hate to dwell on game three, but I'm just going to bring it up at the beginning because I feel like I was going to, too. So, yeah, (laughs) I feel like we didn't really criticize the Celtics that much after that game, because like we said, it was just a defensive miscommunication. Like it wasn't anything like flagrant that led to the last second shot. But then when you think about it, all they had to do was just get that one stop and then they're up 3-0 and like no team in NBA history has ever come back from 3-0. Like that's a completely different situation. And yeah, the Celtics looked like the better team in game three and games one and two had ended up in their favor. But you just give the, I mean, defending champs seems like an exaggeration, but you give a team like Toronto just that fighting chance. You just don't know what's going to happen, and I think tonight proved that. And now it's a 2-2 series, best of three, and it's like they really, 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 like, effed that up. Like, even though it was just such a small defensive communication, like any other play, that's no big deal. But, like, on the last play of the game with .5 seconds on the clock, it just it really comes back to bite them. I'm going to take it back even a little bit further. I really think that Brad Stevens putting Ennis Cantor in the game was such an unmitigated disaster for the Celtics. And I preface this by saying that I am not, again, not trying to just dump on Ennis Cantor because I think he has done some useful things for this team this year. And, like, he's he's good in some matchups. He's bad in some matchups. I really do understand that. It was such a, like, I really, I think the Celtics win that game if they aren't just giving up easy buckets to the Raptors, who clearly found a rhythm after that point. The Celtics were in this funk offensively thanks to the Raptors' zone, but the Raptors weren't really getting much separation despite that funk. So, like, if you just kind of let the players work through the offensive part and keep shutting down the Raptors defensively, water would probably have found its level, and I don't think it would have come down to an OG and an OB3. I think that, like, that one small moment that felt like the mudslide, right? Like that's yeah. that's when it started to feel like everything went out from under the Celtics' feet. You know, the Celtics after game three were just like, all right, you know, move on to the next one, move on to the next one. And it was very clear that they had not fully moved on to the next one, I felt like. And not because they were like, you know, still dwelling on things, but because you could tell that they were kind of nervous. And you could also kind of tell that the Raptors like felt good. And the Celtics just kind of clearly didn't to me. Yeah, for sure. And Brad Stevens said that there was no hangover, but it looked like there kind of was. <laughs> And it might not have been hangover in the, the usual term, because I think when most people think hangover, they think, oh, the team's, like, depressed. I don't think they were that. I think there was hangover in that the Celtics, like, realized that they let a golden opportunity slip away, and so they felt the need to, like – I mean, Brad talked about how they were trying to make home run plays every time something went wrong. That was not the Celtics team we saw in games one and two. That Celtics team was executing and doing the right thing, and that team was missing tonight. Exactly. And that started early too. Like that didn't wait until like the fourth quarter. Like they were forcing things pretty early on. But yeah, I I just wanted to get the game three stuff because they really, 
missed yeah. a, a golden opportunity. And now you just never know. And I mean, you weren't shy in saying, I mean, I guess you were shy because you didn't say this publicly, but you weren't shy in saying that you thought the Celtics could sweep win in five and they could have, but yeah, I mean, I don't feel bad about that take. Like I think it was in the cards and it was, it truly wasn't disrespect to Toronto. I, I, I think Toronto is good. I mean, the Celtics missed a golden opportunity and now, and that's the problem with playing against a team like Toronto is when you miss those golden opportunities, Toronto's good enough to make you pay and they are making the Celtics pay right now. Exactly. So we'll get into game three now. I game mean, four. <laughs> sorry. Yes. Game four. <laughs> I mean, the first takeaway is just obviously how, for me, is just how aggressive Kyle Lowry was from the start, driving the basket, scored eight of Toronto's first 11 points, poked away a lob pass from uh, Marcus Smart to Rob, which I thought was really impressive because he had to, like, get up. Like, usually those are, like, a surefire thing. Yeah. Just looked really good. Um I mean, that was just his energy the entire game, and it got me thinking. Like, I'm so happy that Kyle Lowry, and apologies that we're going, like, bigger picture I guess really early on but I'm so happy that he won a ring last year because I feel like in the NBA championships really define players legacies or at least how the media and fans talk about them sometimes and Kyle Lowry just like he is the motor of the Raptors and it's really impressive what he does both on the offensive and defensive end and just his overall for lack of a better word like energy and so he deserves a ring I don't know who I am to say like who deserves a ring but like I'm really happy he got a ring because I think it'll change how people reflect on his career and talk about him and stuff. And he he really deserves to get that level of recognition, in my opinion. A hundred percent. And the, I mean, the thing you mentioned before that like defending champions feels like like a stretch with this team because obviously they were the defending champions in large part because they had Kawhi Leonard. But I, I think that there is something about going through sort of the fire of a postseason and coming out the other end and having won something that really kind of changes you because I mean, two years ago, three years ago, Kyle Lowry in the playoffs was a running joke. Like people just like clowned him for not ever coming through in the big moments. And now, you take a look at last game, that dude, he struggled in the first two games against the Celtics. He put his head down, got to the rim, and picked up like 31 points. And like the Raptors clearly don't win that game if he doesn't have a really good game. Tonight, I'm 100% there with you. I mean, on a, tonight was an absolute rock fight. Lowry was 5 for 16. He only made one shot inside the paint. But, like, he got to the free throw line eight times. Like, he was not going to be denied tonight. I mean, he ended up with, what, 22-11-7. And, and it really wasn't about the stats. He, he was he and Marcus Smart are, are kind of two peas in a pod where Lowry just makes winning plays. Exactly. Sometimes it's going to piss you off as a fan because it's a flop. But the flop changes the game. He does that type of thing all the time. He's a winner. Well, and let's be clear. Sometimes it's not a flop, too. Sometimes yeah, yeah, for he sure. draws, like, offensive fouls. That yeah, are two really big ones yeah. tonight, I felt like. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, also, him, Fred VanVleet, and Pascal Siakam played the entire second half. In game three, he sat for 90 seconds, I think. Tonight, yeah. he had 43 minutes. Like, I mean, I know Raptors fans kind of use this as, like, a trope, but, like, heart of a champion stuff. It's impressive, and I just have to give kudos there because he really keeps the team together. No, for sure. I, I, I have a lot of respect for Kyle Lowry. It, it is hilarious how much he just he just makes everybody, uh, like every fan of, of every other team, he just drives them up a wall. There, there's some players in the NBA who are good at basketball because they are tryhards. And, like, Kyle Lowry and Marcus Smart are absolutely tryhards, but, like, they're really good players. Nick Nurse was sort of asked, like, what was the difference? And he was like, we are honestly just trying really hard. Yes, and so that's a really important point that brings me to the next thing that I wanted to talk about. 
a bunch of a couple of Celtics said tonight that they didn't match the Raptors either energy or intensity or whatever it might be. And I think it was Washburn uh, who tweeted that's such an indictment of the Celtics. And I think he's a hundred percent right. Their minds were not in the right place. They have more talent than the Raptors, but the Raptors, if they win this series, and it's very possible they will, it is going to be because they are the tougher, guttier team. That matters. That's what we've seen the last two games, and we'll see how the next three play out in that regard. It was funny because the sentiment after the games we heard from Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum, and all of them were like, yeah, we have to be better. Like, we have to come out and fight. And it's like, why didn't you do that tonight? What about game three made you not think that tonight needed to be the night that you did that? Like, I don't, it does not make any sense to me. But so anyway, I feel like we got some big picture stuff out of the way. So maybe I think it might actually be easiest to go like player by player for a few things. Let's start with Rob because he checked in. Okay. Yeah. That's where I wanted to start too. Rob Williams needs to play more. So just to set the scene for his night, he checks in with 9.26 remaining in the first quarter. So really early, like basically the first opportunity. The Raptors were up 7-2. It was clear that the Raptors were asserting themselves like from the beginning as well. But do you know why Brad made that decision? Like I don't think Tice made like an egregious error that would give him like a quick hook. Like what do you think prompted that? My guess is that that it's based on the fact that the Celtics offense just looks so much better with Rob on the floor. I mean, it you you can just like schematically you can see it because, you know, we've talked about it a million times, the vertical spacing and the lob passes and all that stuff. And just against the Raptors, they don't really have an answer for him. Like, I, I, I think Rob just kind of gives the Celtics this additional element that, they, that really helps. And, and look, like, you know, he's shooting what, like 95% in the bubble? Like, he's shooting something ridiculous. And, I mean, you know, it's mostly the dunks and everything. I mean, occasionally teams will let him, you know, shoot that that mid-range shot. But, like, the fact is that every time Robert Williams takes, like, a a shot attempt, quote-unquote, because they're mostly dunks and layups, (laughs) you're probably getting points out of it. So, like, when the defense is collapsing, like, either he's going to get a good look or somebody else is going to be kind of open, and that just opens things up nicely, I think. I get why Brad goes to Rob, and I get what Rob brings. Right, yeah, yeah. wondering why he went to him so quickly, only to go away from him so quickly. Like, that just seemed like a bizarre decision. My guess was that the Raptors were up 7-2. Maybe he wanted to sort of add that spark before things got out of hand. But, like, again, that still seems really early. One stat that I wanted to bring up to your point is so the lineup we've seen the most of in this series is obviously the starters, and they have an offensive rating of 88.8, which isn't great. And then the lineup we've seen the second most minutes of is the starters minus Tice plus Rob, and they have an offensive rating of 126.9. That being said, the starters have a defensive rating of 100 and then Starters plus Rob minus Tice have a defensive rating of 144. Ultimately, the net rating is worse with Rob. Yet, I still think, though, you've got to try it just for that offensive rhythm. And he's he definitely has moments where he's out of place. Like, I think there was one tonight that was really obvious to me, the um, Fred Van Vliet three. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Where he was just forgot to rotate and was out of place. So Brad is so defensive minded and you have to be that way in the playoffs and against a team like Toronto. But it just was surprising that especially with how much the Celtics were struggling with offense, like they could not get going from three. 
that he didn't try and use that as a as a spark plug. And especially when you look at Rob played 13 minutes in the first half and two in the second, and I think he got pulled in the second right after he gave up yet another like Serge Ibaka pick and pop three. And I and I will say, I mean, when Tice comes back in, he's definitely closer. There's like some kind of mental block for Rob, I think, on those pick and pop threes because he's so far away from Ibaka in a way that Tice just isn't. You can see it happening, and then you can see Rob sort of start to close out and then like hesitate a little bit, and then Ibaka puts up the three, and he I, I don't know what's going on there. But regardless, I mean, he makes the offense significantly better. So I guess part of the thinking probably has to do with that, right, is that Ibaka had a really good night tonight. He played 22 minutes off the bench. Seven of nine from the floor, four of four from three, 18 points. Like maybe Brad just thought that putting Robin would sort of exacerbate that or like just continue to fuel Abaka's night. It is, it is funny how like the, the center and backup center situations on both teams right now feel kind of analogous where there's like the starting center who, who, plays all the time and has earned the respect and then the uh, backup guy who might bring a little bit more to this series for a few different reasons. I think Rob Williams needs to play more. And it's funny because I say that, and I mean, I know like Celtics Twitter was calling for that too. I'm sure Brad has thought about that. Um, and he has a reason for not doing it and he's not going to tell us what that reason is. So it's very strange. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot more from him in game five, like if that's the adjustment. If that's not the adjustment, my theory is that they're worried about Ibaka. Like you could see even in the first quarter, even though Rob got in really early, as soon as Ibaka came in, they put Tice back in. Or it's more of just like there's high upside, but there's also a lot more risk with Rob. Like I feel like maybe they're concerned about that, whereas Tice is more of just like a steady, consistent, reliable presence. Look, like Brad is always going to go with the guy in the playoffs. Brad is always going to go with the guy he trusts more. Like I think even to a fault, maybe the Tice versus Rob matchup is just that. So let's talk about the Celtics starter who had the highest three-point percentage of the game, Jalen Brown. For all of Jalen's struggles, he shot 18.2% from three-point range. Three other players shot 16.7%, and Tice didn't shoot one. One vicious shooting night all around. I think Jalen is going to shoulder most of the blame for this because, like, obviously, you know, he went two for 11. Like, that's brutal. Jalen really just could not find it at all. Missing, like, shots, you know, I thought were good shots. I mean, I thought he put it well after the game, actually, where when he said, like, I'm a good shooter and I need to shoot better, which, like, yeah, that's exactly I just, right. No, I think he said, I just got to make them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I just got to make them. And, yeah, they really need him to make them because when he's not making threes, you know, for one thing, that, that gums up the offense when he tries to take people off the dribble. And for another thing, it gums up the offense for everybody else. Like, they need those shots to go in. Especially if he's missing. So he went two for 11. If he's missing nine threes – that's Toronto's offense too. Like it's on yeah. both ends. Like not only are the Celtics not getting a bucket, it puts Toronto in a better position for their offense. 24 missed threes from the Celtics starters is 24 possessions of offense for the Raptors, whether it's in. And how they in, like to start it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like getting, getting out in transition and getting going and forcing mismatches and all that. No, I, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. That's a good point. And Jalen was also in foul trouble. And I think now we've really reached the point of the Celtics do miss Gordon Hayward because there are just lineups where you're like, oh my God, like they need that one other guy who can either be a paint threat or a facilitator. And like, they just don't have that. 
I, I think like offensively, they really missed Gordon Hayward, not because Gordon Hayward would have scored like 30 points, but just for like the flow and to get other guys going. Like they just need that one extra guy. Well, and Gordon is such a unbelievable zone breaker too, because he's so good at those mid range shots and also he can shoot threes. And also he can like drive around screens. He can do all like he can maneuver and get to his spots. And like a big thing about beating his own is having somebody who can get to his spots. And I think they can still win the series without him. This, I think, I think you're right. I think this is the first time that they've really felt his absence super acutely. One other thing about Jalen Brown, he did keep at it despite his rough start. He missed his first eight threes and then he actually made a crucial one sorry actually he missed his first nine threes and then he made one to make it 86 91 and then he made another huge one to just sort of give the Celtics a fighting chance with two minutes left it didn't amount to anything but he stuck with it I think which is good and Brad noted that after the game as well Another thing from Brad I thought was funny was somebody asked him, like, so what was up with Jalen shooting? They phrased it better than that, but that was basically the point of the question. Like, was it tough looks, off night? Like, what was going on? He goes, you watched the game, right? Why don't you tell me? Like, you can figure it out for yourself. And I think that's true. Like, his three-point attempts were open looks, like, oh, from yeah. the corner. Like. I'm pretty sure it was just like he couldn't get the shot to fall. I don't think it was anything that Toronto was necessarily doing to like mess with him. Like I think it was really like just his own funk. Yeah, no, I mean you you just you have to keep shooting. And I mean the Celtics say this every time somebody has an off night that like yeah you just got to keep shooting it. Like you'll never get out of your funk if you stop shooting. And like <laughs> it's just what it is. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. All right, let's move on to Pascal Siakam. At least some people have said, oh, like, Siakam found his groove. Like, this was a good game for him. Like, I mean, I guess in the final box score, it was fine. He scored 23 points. Made 10 of 23 of his shot attempts, but, like, he had a rough start, too. Like, one for seven start with all three-point attempts, and it's like, why is Pascal Siakam attempting so many of these threes? He was two for 13. I just don't get it. Like, obviously, that's great for the Celtics if you're having Pascal Siakam, like, taking the bulk of his shots from behind the arc. Like, that's great, but I don't get why he continues to do it. Like, that just doesn't seem like a good idea. Even though ultimately he scored 23 points, which honestly isn't that impressive for him outside of this series. Like tonight was a good night relatively, but like he can do more than that. Like anytime he had the ball and he was like either posting up Jalen or any, basically anytime he had the ball, I like wasn't confident that this was going to amount to a basket. And sometimes it did. And I was honestly surprised, but like Jalen made it really tough for him. 
I feel like I still am unimpressed by his performance. Uh, Just kind of a fun stat. If you remove Siakam's three-point attempts from the Raptors total, uh, they shot 34.6%, remove Siakam's, and they shot 53.8% from B. Oh, wow. That's a good Um, stat. I was I was actually I 100% agree with you. I thought it was very funny that I, I know he was the leading scorer. I thought it was very funny that he got the walk off interview on TNT. I was like, really? <laughs> like Siakam? Yeah. Like 23 points on 23 shots is just not impressive for your superstar. Like I don't know. I mean, Siakam's a really good player, but he's also pretty. He's got some real flaws, and flaws really show up in the postseason. And I guess to sort of better articulate the point I was trying to make earlier, every time Pascal Siakam gets the ball, it turns into like ISO or just like really slow, like the ball's not moving like once it gets to him. The points where I was most impressed with Toronto's offense is when like Fred VanVleet is like driving and then kicking the ball out and then continuing and like the ball is moving and they're just creating these open looks for Fred VanVleet or Norman Powell. You know what I mean? Like every time Siakam gets the ball, it just turns into him trying to like back down somebody and it like kind of worked tonight, but like it's still, in my opinion, isn't at a point where it's like reliable. So yeah, I mean, so to your point, the Raptors are scoring 0.9 points per possession on Siakam's isolation uh, attempts, which is bad. And uh, they're scoring 1.0 points per possession on his post-ups, uh, which is also not very good, certainly not like a winning offense. Between those two, that eats up 10 possessions per game. You know, that that's a big boost for the Celtics. Like, that you know at least statistically 10 possessions per game from Pascal Siakam are going to be relatively inefficient shots. Um, and that's just during the playoffs. Like, I'm sure, the, I'm sure especially the ice isolation numbers are probably a little bit better during the regular season but it's the playoffs like teams are going to load up on what you're good at I'll be really curious to see what we get from him in game five because I have a feeling it will go right back to what it was in games one through three I think that we have sort of seen the water find, like, not to use this phrase for like the 15th time tonight. I think we sort of have seen now what it's going to look like when the water finds its level. Because if you look at the four games in this series, they're kind of an interesting mirror image of each other. Game one and game four are very analogous. Like the Celtics, somebody said it felt like the Celtics won by like eight instead of like 19 or whatever. And it was because they just kept hitting timely shots. So, and then the Raptors obviously win game four by seven but it really did feel like they had control for most of the game. And then games two and three were just chaos. You know, game two was chaos where it looked like the Raptors were going to win, but Smart went crazy. Game three, it looked like the Celtics were going to win, but Ananobi hit the three. This series has really turned into sort of a mirror image. Like, I think the next three games, like, obviously the next three games will decide the series. Like, yeah, great. Like, game seven is a must win. You know, like, that that kind of analysis. But everything has sort of evened out now. And these next three games, I think, are really going to tell us, like, that's a, that's a go, like, full sports cliche. But, I mean, I think they're going to tell us who's the better team, you know? Like, because here's the thing. I think if the Celtics had swept the Raptors, we wouldn't necessarily have a sense that, like, I don't even know that we would have we would have had, like, a great sense that one team was better than the other. I would like, have had a lot of excuses ready for the Raptors. For no the, exactly. what happened, yeah. Exactly. And now I feel like if the Celtics beat the Raptors in six, or if they beat them in seven, I will be very comfortable saying, okay, the Celtics are the better team. All right, next, Marcus Gasol. The Celtics are better off when he's on the floor. It just makes it so much easier to attack. I think Kemba loves seeing Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka too, but like whenever they can get those guys out on the perimeter, it is a big boost for Celtics guards. So I kind of think that the Raptors should try to go away from Gasol whenever they can, maybe start him and play him 15 minutes. Like the Celtics don't have much issue with him on the floor, and he's not really bringing anything offensively that hurts the Celtics either. 
Right. So tonight Gasol played 25 minutes and Serge Ibaka played 22 minutes. Maybe we're slowly going to inch toward that being like skewed in Ibaka's favor, especially if the Celtics win game five and they're put in sort of an elimination situation. Are there any other specific players that you want to talk about or do you just want to do like quick hitter notes type things now? Yeah, I just have one or two more notes. I'll start here. It is kind of crazy that Nick Nurse did not get fined after his game two comments. And not only did he not get fined, he got what he wanted. Like Jason Tatum, he's getting hit and they're not calling the same things. Like whether they're fouls or not, I mean, half the fouls in the NBA could go either way, right? It is so hard to officiate these games. So this is not like me calling out the officiating by any means. But the same types of contacts that we're getting Jason Tatum and ones and trips to the line are not doing that anymore. So like Nick Nurse not only didn't get fined, he got like it absolutely worked. So I'm shocked he didn't get fined. That for sure is wild. And maybe it will still come, though that would be like very late. I wouldn't say it like worked. Like, yeah, Jason Tatum is getting less calls. One thing that a lot of people were pointing out tonight is that like he pushed off multiple times and they finally called it in the fourth quarter. So I, I, I feel- He's always pushed off though. <laughs> no, but I'm saying like he's still getting that though. Like he's still, it's not like they're all of a sudden calling that a lot. Yeah. So I, I yeah, feel, yeah. I, just in terms of the calls, I wouldn't say it like, I feel weird saying it worked. And to your point, Tatum had obviously the 14 free throws in uh, game two, um, but he has had a bunch of games these playoffs where he hasn't gotten many free throws. When you go through the list of like uh, the, the game logs, he's had 11 in game one against Philly, two in game two, two in game three, 10 in game four, one in game one, 14 in game two, and now I believe it's six and five in the last two. So like he really is kind of completely all over the map still on, on how many free throws he draws. So I would view game two more as an anomaly. I would too, yeah. I think, and I think that's, I think that's fair to say. It's like, it if we want to use the water phrase again. Let's do it. Let's, let's, level or whatever. Yeah. Look, we're going to say it less on the next podcast. It'll find its level on the next podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's right. That said, uh, it is crazy that Nick Nurse did not get fined. That man was asking for a fine, almost literally. I guess another thing that I've noticed is that like the Celtics and maybe this is just playoff basketball, but it seems like it's happening more to the Celtics than the Raptors. They're kind of getting beat up. Like I feel like every game we see someone on the ground, not to like a, I mean, we see smart on the ground a lot because he's flopping. Like I know that's hard to hear, but he does do that a lot. He definitely landed really hard on his back in like the final minutes tonight. Tatum looked to like tweak his ankle and then obviously slammed into the scores table on that call that Brad challenged. Tice was like shaking his hand a little bit to the note with Tice actually after he dunked, he was sort of, yeah, right. And, um, that was like early in the first quarter. So a fun fact. Dan Van Gundy was pretty funny talking about that too, about how he, uh, how he, he, he never dunked because he was always trying to avoid that. In high school and college, he never dunked because he didn't want to hurt his hand on the rim. So that was my fun fact was that I think it was Tatum who told me this. I didn't realize because I obviously, shocker, have never dunked a basketball, that it really hurts your hands. Or maybe it wasn't Tatum. I forget who I was talking to. You've never dunked a basketball? They were basically saying, like, the reason why I don't dunk a lot is because it hurts. I just wouldn't expect that because the motion obviously looks so natural. The dunk happens so frequently in a game, but it, like, really hurts your hands. I, I always wondered about Blake Griffin 
back in the day because he just used a hammer on those dunks home. And it like, you could hear them on the broadcast. And it was always just like, wow, I feel like that would hurt a little bit, but I, I feel like you probably do get somewhat used to it. I mean, maybe you build yeah. up some calluses that, that help, but it's, you know, iron. You're like yeah. slamming your hand really hard against like metal. But yeah, it, it definitely seems like the Celtics are getting beat up. Nobody has popped up on the injury report, and I don't think Brad would ever say that something is bothering someone. We also haven't done a great job of asking for updates on players when we see them, so maybe that's part of it too, is that it is just like natural basketball plays and stuff, but does it seem like the Celtics are getting like a little bit more banged up than usual? I don't know. I feel like it kind of just feels like a normal playoffs to me. One thing that is happening is that like, we're really noticing when guys are a little banged up because, like, your first thought is, like, they really cannot afford to lose anybody else who's good. So I, I think, like, alarm bells go off, like, yeah. ooh, Smart is down. Is he okay? You know, and, like, so so it probably does feel like it. I don't know. Personally, I haven't noticed it, but I, yeah. maybe I'm just missing it, too. I don't know. Last thing we're going to do here tonight, uh, Nicole, panic level. Uh, one out of ten, where are you at if you're the Celtics right now? I feel like my answer is going to be di- – I know this is really lame to say, but I feel like my answer is going to be different. No, I don't, I don't want to hear this. But give, me, give, me a, give me a number, and then you can give me this. Since we are recording, like, the hours after the game, I would say a seven. Okay. So a little bit more than, like, neutral. Yeah. It- how I'm feeling because I don't think even tomorrow, if I were to change my answer, I don't think I would go below five. I think tomorrow I may might go back to just neutral. Like I still think that Toronto can win this series. I don't think it's going to be easy. And I also won't be surprised if they lose. So that's the most long winded answer. And I think I like covered all of my. Yeah. I think you there. managed to hedge literally <laughs> every single thing as you do. Yes. But uh, what are your thoughts? No, I mean, I, so I'm probably at like a, I'm probably like five and a half. Like okay. I'm with you where it's like, I think that there is plenty of cause for concern. I, I would not say there's cause for panic. Something's have beaten the Raptors more times than they've lost to them this year. Water will find the level. Let's get one more in there. All right. Um, we'll leave it there, guys. Thank you to everybody who has subscribed. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Appreciate you, everybody. We will talk to you after Game 5. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.